Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. So listen, if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, it's time to get into the Word of God this morning. So grab your Bibles with me. Turn to Psalm 46, Psalm 46, and we're going to read verse 10 together this morning. Psalm 46. And verse 10, it says this in the New Living Translation, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, would you add your anointing? to the Word of God today? Would you uh, add your revelation, your understanding today, that you would inspire us with courage and with understanding to be able to, uh, to understand what your Word says and the courage to put it to practice in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Xavier, do I need to switch to my handheld mic? All right, there we go. I heard the cracking and popping. I'm assuming you heard it at home. Thank you for your patience. We are wrestling this bear to the ground today by the grace of God. So listen, Psalm Psalm 46 and verse 10 is one of the most recognizable scriptures in all the Bible. It is a comfort and has been a comfort to many during this time of difficulty. It's plucked from a psalm that we actually already talked about in the last couple of weeks. Verse 1 of of Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And then the rest of that psalm, and I would encourage you to read it today today or this week in your quiet time, the rest of that psalm goes on to describe what's going on in the world at that time. It is a world that's in chaos. It's a world that's in turmoil. It's a word that kingdom, it's a world where kingdoms are in crisis and where institutions are crumbling. It is a poetically perfect picture of what's going on in our world right now. And it offers us the assurance that when this world panics, God is not caught off guard. God is not surprised. God is not confused. God is not assembling a team of advisors in heaven this morning in an emergency meeting trying to determine the best course of action for what he didn't anticipate. God knows. In verse 7 it says the God of heaven's armies is here. He is working. He is moving. God sees and God knows and he is working in our midst. And that is a blessing. And that is a revelation for us today. And then comes the verse, the line, the sentence that we just read in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Now, I had planned all week to go in a completely different direction today, but as I was finishing this up just yesterday, as I was finishing up the message just yesterday, I sensed the Lord drop this in my spirit. 
And as I began to meditate on it for just a second, this message just sort of unfolded uh, in, in, my, in my heart. So listen, I'm no, I'm no spiritual giant. I am not the world's best uh, anything. But I have learned this, that when God speaks like this, then everything else needs to be set aside and we need to pay attention. We need to listen. So let's spend just a few minutes with, with this sentence today. Be still and know that I am God. Here's, here's the first section of that. Two words. Be still. Be still. Those two words are not just a, a command. They're not just an imperative to stop moving. They're also a declaration of personhood and the root of your worth. Your value and your worth are not defined by your activity. You can be even when you're still. We have to learn to embrace the stillness of the moment. Kirk Franklin said it this way in a song with Toby Mack and Mandisa. He said, who you are is not what you do. Even when you're still, even when you can't work, you can still be who you were meant to be, who God made you to be. It doesn't change anything for him. This shutdown, this quarantine doesn't change anything in the eyes of God towards us. I think Pastor Chris Hodges from Birmingham put it this way. He says the who has to come before the do. The who has to come before the do. What do you mean? Well, I mean in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the word says that when we get saved, we are recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we get all fired up about that. And we love to do stuff, but the recreation happens before the work begins. He changes who you are and how he sees you before he ever calls you to do any of the work. Be still. Be still today. You see, you can't earn your value any more than you can earn your righteousness. Both of those are rooted in our relationship with Jesus. And since Jesus is eternal, since Jesus doesn't change, then our value can never be diminished by our lack of activity, by our lack of production, by our lack of employment, by our lack of ministry engagement, but because we can't lead a group or whatever we've been doing to try to define ourselves in Christ, our value comes from him and from him alone. We can be even when we are still. Now let me show it to you in the Word of God. In Matthew, actually in the life of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, from the 21st century King James, this is what it said. Jesus, when he had been baptized, went straight up, went up straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What had, what had Jesus done up to that point? What miracles had he performed? What mighty works had he done? What messages had he preached? What sick people had he healed? None. None. 
This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He would say in, a, in, in just a few weeks, he would go to Nazareth and he would say what's recorded in Luke chapter 4, that the Spirit had anointed him to do what? To preach the good news, to open the blind eyes, to set the captives free, all of that stuff in, Romans, in, uh, in Luke chapter 4 and verses uh, 18 and 19. But he had not done a single bit of that. And yet Jesus, God yells down from heaven, that's my boy and I'm proud of him. God's pride and pleasure in Jesus didn't come from his activity. It came from his relationship. It came from who Jesus was. Now listen, this is bad grammar, but you need to see the connection. Who, who Jesus be was the same even when he was still. You can be even when you're still. That's hard for me to understand. That's hard for me to accept. That's hard for us as Americans to understand, isn't it? I mean, our value gets associated with our production. We got to get it done, man. That's how we're wired to think. But I want you to look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. Verses 38 through 42, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. Now, how many of you parents quarantined at home with your children have broke up fights just like this all week long? These are grown women coming to Jesus saying, tell her to help me. Jesus said this. He said, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. We're the Marthas of this world, aren't we? As Americans, I know I am naturally a Martha. We gotta get the details taken care of, man. We gotta put out the spread. We gotta make sure everything is perfect so we can feel accomplished, so we can earn our spot in the kingdom, so we can get the kind of oohs and ahs and pats on the back that we like to hear, that we like to receive. But in this season, maybe Jesus is calling us Marthas to be Mary's for a minute. Maybe he's saying, just be still. Let me ask you a question. How much time have you spent in the stillness in the last two or three weeks? Are you creating stuff to do to keep you occupied? Are you having a hard time being quiet or being alone? Listen, that's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem for me. It's a problem for you. Why? Because we're going to miss what God is doing in this season. We're going to miss what God has for us if we don't learn to be even while we're still. Now here's the, next, here's the next two words. We've done be still. The next two words are what? And know. Be still and know. Now, have you had a conversation with anyone under 20 years old lately? 
or maybe heard a conversation. In almost every exchange, they will begin a sentence in, in their response with, I feel like, right? Have you noticed that? I feel like, I feel like. A generation older than them would probably say something like, well, well, I believe, I believe it is. Another generation might say the same kinds of things, but they might begin the sentence with, well, I think, I think this is happening. I think this is what's going on. Listen, God is calling us higher than that today. God is calling us not to feel, not to believe, not to think, but to know to know. And knowing is dependent upon stillness. You cannot know until you are still. You cannot know until you're still. And it bears repeating, but we, most of us, have a problem with being still. If not physically, then at least mentally. We got something going on in our brains all the time. I walk into my 15-year-old's room, and, and, and I say, hey, what you doing? And she says, I'm doing homework. So that's what I hear, but what I see is that she is FaceTiming with somebody, uh, Snapchatting and or texting um, while listening to music and watching a show on Netflix and, oh yeah, doing her homework all at the same time. Now, I would lose my mind if I tried to do any two of those things at the same time. But she's a straight A student. Something's working for her. She's got this on lockdown. I couldn't do that. But if we're being honest, us older folks are not much better than that. It might look different. It might look different on the outside, but on the inside, we've got super, too much going on in our brains. My, our parents might say, we got too many irons in the fire. We got too many things happening all at one time, and we just can't seem to be still. So let me make a couple of observations about this current generation. Here's the first one. This generation of kids is busier than any previous generation. It's just a fact. Not only do they do things like I just described with my 15-year-old when they are off, when they're on a normal day, but what do their other days consist of? For many people, for many kids, it consists of going to school for seven hours, of school-related extracurricular activities, of clubs, band, sports, whatever. Many of them are also part of a private travel team. Many of them have youth group when they get a chance. Many of them have private music lessons or private sports or fitness training. That's the life of many teenagers I heard the other day about a study that said the level of stress and anxiety uh, on the average teen, now not like the really stressed out teen, like the regular walking around teen, that the stress and anxiety level that they experience on a daily basis would have been considered clinical in the 1950s. What does that mean? That means the, what the average kid is dealing with now would have put them in the hospital in our parents' generation. Think about the mental health implications of that. So that's one observation. Here's the second observation. This generation of young people are also less certain about issues of faith than any previous generation. 
They're called the nuns. They have no, on the, the researchers call them nuns because they have no particular religious affiliation. When they say, what, what religion do you affiliate with? They say none. So when they ask questions like, do you believe in God? Do you believe that Jesus is his only son? Do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross? Do you, do you believe in those things? Ask them and see what they say. They'll say things like, some of them will say things like, well, I feel like that might be true, at least for me. Yeah, I, I feel like God is real. Yeah, I can feel him when I really need him. Other generations might say, yeah, I, I, I think he's real. Another generation might say, yeah, you know, we believe. We believe there's a God out there somewhere. Listen, is it possible that those two observations are related is it possible that the fact that we never stop moving, never stop having our brain stimulated, is the reason that we don't know? It's no wonder we only feel or we only think or we only believe. That's all we have time for. Feelings are instant. You know immediately how you feel about something. You know almost instantly what you think about something or even what you believe about something. But even our beliefs are finicky. They change. They're, they're fleeting. We need to know stuff. But God says the only way to know stuff is to be still. And look at what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul said, that, that's why I'm suffering in prison, but I'm not ashamed of, of it because I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. King James would say, I know whom I have believed. Listen, it takes time to get convinced. It takes stillness and quiet to know something. Paul had plenty of time. Paul had plenty of stillness and quiet sitting in that prison. Paul had plenty of time walking the dusty roads of the Roman Empire where cell service and internet connection were spotty. Paul didn't suffer. The saints were not martyred for what they felt or for what they thought, or even what they believed might be true, but they were willing to lay down their lives for what they knew. Maybe a lot of the uncertainty in the American church comes from the fact that we're never still, so we can't know. We're never quiet. Our minds are constantly stimulated by our phones and things going on in our homes and our lives and our hobbies and our activities. If this pandemic does anything, I hope it slows us down to the point that we can actually figure out what we know for sure. Because we need some certainty in our lives when it comes to the things of God. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 32, we find the account of a man named Jacob who was struggling with his faith in God struggling with a dangerous situation. He had had encounters with God. He knew of God, but his past was catching up to him. He had inherited his faith from his father and his grandfather, but he was having a hard time carrying it quite so confidently. 
You know what I mean. Wearing it for yourself. I know what my parents believe. I know what my grandparents believe. And I think I believe that, but I'm just not sure. Well, one night for Jacob, it reached a climax. The Bible tells us that he set everything aside that he had going on. He sent his family and his friends away. He dismissed his household servants and his employees to take care of his considerable estate. He sent everybody away and he focused singularly on one thing and that was sorting out what he knew about God. The Bible says he wrestled with God all night long. And at the end of that night, Jacob was a changed man. As a matter of fact, God changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means God fights. He went from feeling like and thinking like and believing that God was real to knowing that God was real. He was no longer the God of his grandfather Abraham or his father Isaac. He was now the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. He knew who he believed in. Now listen to me. If you have some holes in your life, if you have some gaps in your faith, if you need to know some things in your relationship with God, you're going to have to get still. Set everything aside and be willing to wrestle your way through it. Give it your focus. Give it your time. Give it your undivided attention. Why? Because it's important. It'll change you, but it'll ground you. And when you go through the storms of life, it will anchor you. And when the winds blow and the rains fall, it'll be the foundation that you can build your life upon. When the world is changing, when everything seems to be falling apart, you won't hold on to what you feel or what you think or even what you believe, but you will wrap yourself up in what you know. So take the time this week Turn off all the noise in your life. Be still and know, maybe for the first time in your life, know what you believe. I've heard person after person in almost 30 years of ministry, I've heard people who've gone through a hard time, especially through a sickness or an injury, and many, many, many people have told me, John, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You're like, what in the world? That makes no sense. But almost to a person, they'll say, God, use that thing to get my attention and to slow me down. I've even heard people say, God had to put me flat on my back so that all I could do was look up to him. Our world is flat on its back right now. Many of you are out of work or at least working differently, maybe working less. Carve out the time to be still and know. Voluntarily give him your full attention. See and hear and learn and know what you believe. Let me show you a few places in Scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. John says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. Not so you can believe or think or feel, so you can know. 
And we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our request, we also know that He'll give us what we ask for. Do you see the confidence that John writes about right there? What would happen in our faith if we knew that we were saved? If we knew that we had eternal life waiting on us when we die? How would that change how we live? Listen, how would it change our prayer lives if we started praying from what we know instead of what we wish? How would it change? Do you think it would make a difference? Be still and know before you pray. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Having carefully investigated, Luke says, investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. The Gospel of Luke was written to, so that this man, Theophilus, you can call him Theo, you can call him Ted, it was written so that Theophilus could be certain, so that he could know what he believes. How would our witness be different if Jesus wasn't just someone you felt or someone you thought or someone you believed was real, but someone you know? Listen, married people, could I convince you that to, to not believe in the existence of your spouse? Could I do that? Children, could I convince you that your parents are not real? I know some of you wish your parents were not real, but could I convince you that your parents had never existed? Single people, would you ever believe me if I told you that your best friend didn't exist? Of course not. That's ridiculous. All of those situations are ridiculous. We'd say no. Why? Because we know those people. See, you may doubt what you feel. You may doubt what you think. You may even doubt what you believe, but you don't doubt what you know. And I am hearing the call from heaven during this crisis. Be still and know me. That's the unshakable faith that you've been looking for. It's in knowing Jesus. Now the last four, so be still and know. And here's the last four words from this foundational verse, but they're powerful. They're just as powerful as the rest of them. And I don't want you to miss what God's saying in this discussion of knowing. Be still and know that I am God. Do you remember in the book of Exodus, do you remember how God identified himself to Moses? Moses said, once he finally surrendered to the call, once he finally said, okay, God, fine, I'll go and talk to Pharaoh. But when I talk to him, who am I supposed to tell him sent me? Do you remember what God said? God said, you tell him I am that I am. He is the self-existent, self-sufficient God. He, he is God all by himself. He's God whether he had ever created us or not. He was God before he spoke the universe into existence. 
All of this creation did not make him God. It's just evidence that he is God. God's power, God's identity isn't in what he does. It's in who he is. He said, I am, not I do or I can or I have, but I am. That's the foundational, most basic state of being. I am. And when we get still before him, we can know that we are secure in him because he is secure in himself. He says, be still and know not that I do great things or I have great power. Just be still and know that I am God. And that knowledge of God changes everything. Everything in your life, everything about what you believe and what you put your faith in. Now, look at part of the prayer that Jesus prayed on the last night of his life on earth in John 17, in verse 3. He's praying to God and he said, And this is the way to, to have eternal life, to know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, he's talking about himself, the one you sent to earth, to know. God, the way to eternal life, the path to heaven is to know God, not to believe or to think or to feel, but to know God. Be still and know what? That I am God. How do you get to know God? Through Jesus the Christ, the one that God sent to earth to pay the penalty for our sin. Be still. And know that I am God. Listen, you might be watching today and you might be struggling with your, with your doubts. You might be struggling with your faith. There might be some, some gaps in your belief system. Or you might be watching out of curiosity today, wondering what this church, wondering what Christianity is all about. Well, it's about this right here. That Jesus came to earth so that we could have eternal life by knowing God through him, the only son of God. You see, Jesus came so that we could be still and know that he's God. So that we could have a relationship with God. So that we could know a person and not a power. That we could know that God is not some impersonal deity on a throne on high, but that he loved us so much that he came to earth to make a way to heaven for us. The gospel, Christianity, is a love story. As humans, we sinned. That's no, that, that's no secret. That's no mystery. We still sin. Sin separates people from God. And it creates, every time we sin, there's a charge. It creates a legal debt that has to be paid or we can't enter heaven to be with him. Jesus came to pay that debt of our sin and be the way back to God, back to eternal life, back to a personal relationship with God. And he did that by dying on a cross as the sacrifice for our sin. His death paid the price for you, for me, for everybody once for all. 
And now all we have to do is surrender our lives to Jesus. Now listen, that's not a magic prayer. Those are not magic words. That's not shake a preacher's hand or fill out a card or send an email or however we do it in this quarantined environment. That surrendering is a real thing. It's a decision that you're making. It's a decision to accept the fact that I am a sinner and Jesus died to pay the price for me. And because of that, we're not just forgiven and grateful sinners. We're not just forgiven and grateful strangers. We can know him for ourselves. Not through a priest, not through any sort of go-between. You can know God for yourself. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be called into some sort of pulpit ministry or, or some sort of leading from the front kind of ministry. You can know God for yourself. And I would invite you to surrender to God today through His Son, Jesus. Listen, this is a very, very different world that we're living in now than the one we lived in three weeks ago. It, it boggles the mind how things have changed so quickly. Everything just feels off. Half of us don't know what day it is, right? And things are changing. But if you will learn to be still, to quiet the noise outside and quiet the noise inside, then you can know God in a way that you've never known Him before. God sent His only Son to this earth so that we could know Him. So don't miss that chance today. I'm going to ask you wherever you are, if it's safe to do so, if you can, would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, there's so much to pray about, and we don't have time to pray about it together as we live stream, but Lord, you see every heart, you see every need, and there are so many people who are watching or will watch with so many, so many different situations, with so many different needs. And Father, we just lift every person to you right now. We thank you for the miracle of communication. Not just the miracle that I can stand on a platform in a mostly empty church in Bremen, Georgia and broadcast really to anywhere in the world. That, that seems miraculous to my little brain. But Lord, more importantly, the miracle of communication that you can take one message spoken through one man and you can, and you can communicate and speak to a million different people exactly what they need to hear in the exact right moment and in the exact right way. Lord, that's the miracle of communication that we are thanking you for today. And I pray that you would go to every person wherever they are and whatever they're going through. God, there are people that are watching that are struggling. They're struggling financially. They're struggling with anxiety and fear. They're struggling with depression. They're struggling with all kinds of things because the foundation of our world has been shaken. But God, I pray that we would, we would steal away and quiet the noise and be still and know that the foundation that we build our lives on is not the economy, it's not the job, it's not the educational system, it's not the government, but it's you. And God, help us to know what we believe when we walk out of this trial. 
God, there are people who don't know you. They've heard about you or they think they might know something about you. Or maybe they're like Jacob. They know what their grandfather believed and what their father believed. But God, I pray that today, right now, we would begin to take the step to know you, to know you, to know what it's like to be forgiven of our sin, to know what it's like to have right relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And I pray that people would begin to surrender right now. Just surrender themselves to you. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned. And I know the only way to be forgiven, the only way to get to you is through Jesus, your son. So I receive what he did for me on the cross. And I thank you that he died for me. I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that he had to die for what I did. But I thank you and I accept it and I commit myself to living for you, to becoming more like you. Lord, we pray for every person who just prayed that prayer or something like it as they surrendered. If there was a change in their, in their heart, if they believed it as they spoke it and prayed it, if their commitment is true, God, then we thank you that they are saved. We thank you for those who are struggling, that their feet are getting planted on solid ground. We thank you that peace that passes understanding is settling over people everywhere right now. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for those who are in authority from the federal government all the way down to, to every, uh, every family, every business, every community leader. Everybody, is, every leader is making difficult choices right now. We pray that you would give every leader wisdom and understanding and, and knowledge and Lord, just good common sense. God, I pray that we stay unified through this. And I pray, God, that you would protect, you would protect us, that you would heal us, that you would stop this virus because only you can. I pray, Lord, in particular, that you would be with our medical staff all over the country, all over the world, the nurses and the doctors who are on the front lines of this, who are going 15 rounds with this virus every day. God, they're going home beat up and bruised and battered. They're going home concerned that they're spreading something to their, to their families. God, I just pray that you, would, that you would wrap your arms around them and give them strength in their, in their bodies, in their immune systems, in their minds, and in their soul. God, for the janitors, for the cafeteria staff, for everybody who's working in those environments, we pray your hedge of protection around them and your blessing for their sacrifice. We love you. We thank you that you are a, pre a very present help in time of trouble. God, we bless you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.